0: You know, a, a marriage is like a house. When you lose power and it gets cold, you don't go out and buy a new house. You light a fire, right? My hope is that a fire will be lit in your marriage, that we will just fall more and more in love with our spouse. It's going to happen. I promise. Today, we're going to talk about sex. Now, I know it's gonna get a little quiet in here from time to time, but it's gonna be okay, all right? It's important that as a church, we talk about this in a clear, direct, and sensitive way. For far too long, the church has been silent on this issue. Maybe you grew up in a church and all you heard was, don't do it. Well, you need to know biblically why you shouldn't do it and then how you should do it in a way that honors the Lord and and, and why there's gonna be so much blessing and benefits as a result of doing it his way. And there is a way under God's umbrella of, of blessing and how he designed that we need to understand. We need to have a correct biblical understanding of sexual intimacy in the context of marriage. If you don't have that, then your relationship will feel like hell. It will have negative effects on you and your spouse. And so we need to understand how the Lord has designed this. It's important. It's important that we talk about it. You know, it was about a year ago that we were scheduled. I was going to talk about this issue from this stage one year ago, and then the pandemic happened. And we had to pivot. We had to change topics, change series, and then a few days ago, I was getting ready to kind of study my notes and, and we had a conversation with some of our leaders about, up, oh, should we pivot again after this tough week that we've had and, and, and should we do a standalone message? And as I prayed and I thought about it, I was like, here we are again. I can't imagine. And I just felt such a burden and urgency to talk about this issue because to not talk about it, I'm more concerned about the long-term negative effects to you and your children and your spouse if we don't talk about it. So we've got to talk about it. It's so important that we discuss it in a way because the reality is sex and relationships cannot be defined by culture. It can't be defined by what we see in media or what you hear about at school. It it can only come from the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus says in the gospel of John, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Before there can be freedom, there's two things. There's knowing and there's truth. There's knowing and there's truth. When the power and water went out at my house, my girls, my daughters left. (laughs) They, one went to a house that had power and water. My other daughter went to her house that she has with her roommates. And although there was not power, at least there was water. And Thursday night, I got a phone call. She said, dad, there's a giant flood outside of our house. I'm afraid we've got some pipes that burst. And, and so I, I tried to walk her through it through FaceTime. And, and, and when I saw the area, I knew that there would be in the, in the pool of water that there would be a shutoff valve. And I said, Emma, you're gonna have to put your hand into that water. And she was outside. She goes, dad, it's freezing out here. I don't wanna put my hand in. Something's gonna bite me and she was so afraid and she, and I said, well, go to a neighbor and find out and I'll drive down and and help you out. Well, she went to a neighbor and the neighbor didn't know what to do. So she came back and, 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 when she had come back, she, she noticed that the water had settled a bit and she saw the lever and she was able to, turned it off at the main shutoff valve. And she called me back and she was so excited. She was so proud of herself. And I was proud of my daughter as well. And she was like, dad, I did it. The water has stopped, it's not flooding anymore. And I thought about this for a moment. I thought about our time together right now because some of you, because of things that you have seen or, or be things that you have experienced and there's shame attached and, and, you, and, and, and the enemy has distorted truth and he's perverted what God has intended for good. And as a result, what you see is very murky. And today you're gonna discover from God's word what he says about this topic, this important topic as it relates to your marriage or your future marriage. And when you see clearly and you begin to obey this truth and you apply it to your relationship, you're gonna have a new confidence, a new joy. There's gonna be great peace as you apply God's word into your marriage. You guys ready to do this together? Let's look at what the the word of God says because he says in Genesis chapter one, verse 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Like, sex is good. Should have had a little bit more amens in the house today. Why is sex good? Because God created it. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He wasn't talking to a tree, right? He was talking to Adam and Eve. He knows their parts. He knows their urges. He put them there. Sex is God's idea. And it was meant more than just procreation. It was recreation. It was for enjoyment. Isn't that wonderful that God gives this gift to us in the context of marriage to be enjoyed? It's pleasurable. It's wonderful. It's incredible. And we should be grateful for that. Like if you've been around, you may have heard the acronym GTBM. If you're new, it means go to bed naked. This is GTBN week, y'all. Now and, and so I'm challenging you. My wife and I—we're committed. We never ask you guys to do anything we're not willing to do. So this is like my favorite weeks of the year. All right. And so this week you have no excuses. Like if you don't have power at home, is that? You channel your inner Cobra Kai and and and, and GTBN. That you will get warm soon enough. I promise. All right. And so you just you say, man, I I I just don't feel like it. GTBN and just trust the process, all right? All right, so this is, a, it, here's the real, sex is good, it's God's idea, all right? It, it's a gift for us, but the enemy has perverted it. And we've got to talk about this because the world, the enemy wants to confuse you. He wants to distract you. He wants to tempt you away from God's path. And, there, and the brutal facts, are, the reality is this, that 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit at every porn site is about six minutes. There are 43 million porn sites. 47% of families say porn is a problem at home. And with media devices, it's becoming more of an issue. Porn increases infidelity by 300%. 11 is the average age a child is first exposed to pornography. 56% of divorce say that their spouse had an obsessive interest in porn. That's in the world. But in the church, it's still an issue. 68% of men in the church view porn regularly. From the ages of 18 to 24, that percentage goes up to 76%. 80% 80% of adolescents find out about sex by internet, friends, and TV when they need to hear it from you as parents, the church, and the Bible. Hey, parents, thank you for those who are having the talk. If your children are already in junior high, then you're already too late. You need to have the talk before they hear about it. I, I personally, I'm grateful that my parents sat me down and we had a good discussion, but they were a little bit late. I first heard about sex in the back of a bus by some dumb fifth grader using crude language and finger gestures. That's how I found out about it. And then I remember going to a friend's house with a bunch of my buddies to sleep over and and the guy at the house introduced us to his father's pornographic magazine collection. And, And some of you have had introductions that may have been similar that the enemy wanted to use to distort, to pervert what is meant to be beautiful and good. So have the talk with your your children. Take good notes during our time together and instruct your children probably before you think the age is appropriate. I I recommend nine, 10 years old. 52% of every high school student is now sexually active by the time they graduate. This is a big problem, y'all. And if we don't talk about it as a church, then we open up the door for the enemy to have victory in this area of people's lives. And so God created it, but he only created it in the covenant of marriage. And there it is holy and it is sacred and it is good. Whenever sex is in, sexual intimacy is taken outside or is before marriage, then you remove God's protection and blessing and you open yourself up for great harm. And not just the physical act, it's more than that. And we're going to discover that together. But you're, you're not just harming yourself, you're harming your future spouse. You're harming the intimacy and the close fellowship you can have with the Lord. You're opening yourself up to all kinds of harmful consequences that the enemy wants to bestow upon you. So what does Jesus say about sex? In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, he says, But God made, who made? God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. And we all know that God does not make mistakes. It says that this explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now you may have heard this language or heard this, this statement in a wedding, right? the actual original Greek language, some translations actually apply it. It says that when a man leaves his father and mother and comes together, he joins and they become one flesh. There's a cleaving. There's there's not just physically, but there is a an emotional connection. There is a spiritual union that is supernatural that when you honor God and you do it his way, then, then he brings together. This is a covenant that is very serious in a culture where people are hooking up on one night stands, joining themselves to other people and these emotional and, and spiritual connections that God has only designed for a man and woman to be one partner in one marriage for for their lifetime. That's God's will and his desire and, and, and his covenant is so important. Like from the very beginning of the Bible, if you, if you do a study on covenant, you'll see very often it, it Jesus blood is a symbolic of the seriousness of the covenant, whether it be sacrifice, circumcision, the loss of virginity. It's because it's so serious that God sees it seriously. Like in our context, in our culture, the marriage happens when, when. it's official when you sign the marriage certificate, right? When you have the witness and the pastor signs it. But in God's eyes, when you come together sexually, he's saying, you're married in my eyes. This is so important that this is, this is together. You've joined together and it's in, in the sex is good. It's like, this is in the context of marriage. The enemy is the one who will lie. He wants to give a counterfeit vision or picture of sex. It's kind of like in the garden. Like Jesus, God puts parameters, right? He says, you can eat of all these different trees, but there's this one I don't want you to touch, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the enemy tempted, right? Tempted them, saying, hey, you don't have to listen to that. Go ahead and do it for your enjoyment. And as a result of their disobedience, their sin, there was great consequence. And it's the same thing with sex. It's God's will. He's one God, right? And, And he creates one man and one woman, one marriage, one sex partner, one flesh, one lifetime but the enemy wants to twist and he wants to turn that he's like, you can have multiple partners. Well, if things don't work out in your marriage, then just divorce. And there can be another person. And and maybe it's just for a season in your life. And, and God treats this very seriously. And when you can be committed to one spouse, honoring one Lord for one marriage, that should be the goal. That should be the, what we desire, right? my wife, Stephanie, and I, we weren't perfect, but I am so grateful by the grace of God, we were able to come together as virgins, as, as sexually pure when we came together. And we've, we've, we've been faithful since March 25th. 1995, and, and, we, and it's only gotten better, all right? We've never compared each other. And, and here's the reason, I'm so grateful that we had grandparents and parents before us who not only modeled this, but taught us what God says about this subject and said, will you make this a conviction? Will this be a standard? I remember the moments. I remember the, the ring that, that I had to symbolize my commitment to wait for sexual intimacy until marriage uh, these are commitments that I made to the Lord, to my future spouse, to my parents, to myself, but my grandparents before my my mom's parents—they didn't divorce. They were pure when they came together. My parents were, Stephanie's parents were. Uh, like it's it's when I look at it in context of the big picture, it's a beautiful legacy. And so when we taught our children at a very young age and, and we taught them how to biblically court courtship, not just dating like we see in the world, and we asked them to commit to purity, and they've done that. I'm so grateful that my daughter first expressed her love to, to Luke and Luke expressed his love to her after two years. They, they, all, they barely held hands and kissed, but when they first told each other that they loved each other, Luke in his next breath said, will you marry me? And so I know this may seem a little bit rare and you may say, well, I don't, I didn't, this wasn't taught to me or it wasn't modeled or, or I have not had experiences like this. It can start with you. It can start now. I really believe that Lord can restore and he can redeem, that there can be spiritual, supernatural, secondary virginity, that although the family tree may be littered with pain and sexual sin, God can do a new work in you. You can be the start of a new legacy to your children and you're your children's children. Will you be the one? God, you may be here and, and hearing the word of God and, and, and as we talk about this t- subject the enemy is going to try to remind you of the past remind things that were happening to you that were maybe even some cases abusive and hurtful and so there's negative emotions that are attached to this subject when it should have been pure and good and the enemy is going to remind you and try to condemn you those voices need to be silenced in the name of jesus because the lord wants to redeem he wants to restore he wants to bring hope and forgiveness. You remember the woman who was caught in adultery and she was thrown down at the feet of Jesus and because of her actions, there should have been hard consequences. But Jesus, full of grace, now down beside her, and he said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He was full of grace and love, but he was also full of truth. And he looked her in the eyes and said, go and sin no more. Will you take inventory of any sexual sin in your life, whether it was in the past, public, present, or even in secret? Would you confess this sin to God? Would you confess it to someone else? Someone else needs to know about this and you need to confess someone, not everybody. You don't have to get on social media, but you need to have someone in your life, maybe in your small group, that you can tell everything to and have accountability, but confess it Confess it to the Lord, confess it to someone else and repent of the sin. Turn from the sin, turn to God. Flee, run away. Don't, think, don't go to places that, that are gonna cause you to be tempted. If you need to delete every app on your phone, then do it. You need to run. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 18 says, flee sexual immorality. Like, don't mess around with it. Job 31.1 says, make a covenant with your eyes not to look at a woman with lust in your heart. Like this should be a passion a conviction how does a young man keep his way pure by hiding God's word in her heart by quoting God's word this is we no temptation right is, is common to man Every, everybody's tempted but God will provide a way out that you can stand up under it like this is an area that many people struggle and it's it's a way that the enemy is trying to cause your marriage to be relationship hell but there is a way out, there is a better way and it is God's way, amen? And so 1 Corinthians chapter six, I want you to turn there in your Bible. This is a very practical teaching. Corinth is like Las Vegas. Even the church was messed up in the area of sexual immorality. Right off the bat in this letter, Paul's addressing a man who was in deep, perverse sexual sin and he's correcting the church because they're just allowing it to happen. They're not even doing anything. And they're like, deal with this man seriously or it's gonna affect everybody else in the church. It's that serious. And it says in verse nine of 1 Corinthians chapter six, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Listen, God won't bless what you are doing outside God's plan for you. You cannot be knee deep in sin in sexual sin and expect God to bless you. It says, those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. This is one of the most tragic disappointments that that you can forfeit and a wonderful inheritance that the Lord has for you. He's got things stored up for you that you can't even imagine. But by resisting and not going the way that, that you know to be true and going another path just because it feels good or is pleasurable for a moment and continuing to harden your heart and resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit and going in a rebellious way, you are forfeiting the, the inheritance. And so notice what he, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins to talk about sanctification. This is walking in holiness that is both instantaneous at salvation, but it's progressive through a normal Christian walk. He says, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. So are you, do you have something that you're giving more of time and attention to other than the Lord? It's not just sexual sin. You could be slaves to anything. Things that aren't even in itself a sin. Could be video games. Could be Netflix. Could be recreation. Could be nature. What are you so dependent upon that when it's gone, you begin to crave it? That when it's gone, you begin to lose the victory and emotionally you become discouraged. Are you a slave to electricity? right? Like, you know, when the Bible was written in the first century, these folks were full of great joy and contentment, and they did not have power in their homes. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have heat, right? But they still had joy because they were slaves to Jesus. Uh, Paul, Peter, when you, when they uh, talk about how their identity is, if you look at they say, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant to Jesus. Those words actually come from a Greek word meaning doulos. It comes from Hebrew culture where, where once a, a servant or a slave fulfills their time, if they love their master, if they love the one who's treated them well so, uh, so strongly, they intentionally make a decision for the rest of my life, I want to be a servant. And so they will mark themselves on an the ear with like this owl or an ice pick that would mark their ears so forever everyone would know that they don't belong to themselves. And so these these followers of Jesus, these apostles, these devoted disciples, they would mark themselves inwardly and they identified I'm a slave to Jesus and not anything else. This is your hope. Will you be a slave to Jesus? Would you be a servant to him for the rest of your life? Mark saying nothing is going to allow me to be distracted. I'm not gonna be a slave to sexual addiction or stronghold in my life, only to Jesus. If Jesus is who your master is, he's your Lord, then your peace cannot be taken away. Your joy cannot be taken away. You can have a clear conscience before him, before your spouse. See, the thing about sin, it's missing the mark. And oftentimes in the Bible, sin is described as being a transgression, And an iniquity. And there's a difference. You need to understand the difference. Transgression may remind you of the word trespass. It's the outward act, the infidelity, the adultery, the the viewing of pornography. That act is a transgression. It's on the outside, it is sin. But iniquity is on the inside, lust is on the inside, it's, it's the root. And you need to deal with the root. Why is there a root? Why is it that you will confess sexual sin and then two months later or two weeks later you're struggling with again, it's just been a non, an ongoing cycle and you maybe you've given up saying I'm just as resigned, this is always who I'm gonna be and it's, it's hurt who God intends you to be and what he wants to do in and through you and, and how blessed he wants your relationship to be and how intimate he, he wants that for you. That's his will for your life. But you gotta fight for that and you've gotta deal with the problem, deal with the root. Jesus, even in his own words, right? He said in in the gospel of Matthew chapter five on the Sermon of the Mount, he says, Moses said to you, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, then you've committed adultery in your heart. And you've gotta deal with that. How do you deal with that? By looking at Calvary. Jesus died on the cross. Says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news so that the captives can be set free. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be healed and you can't do it through your own efforts. It's only through his supernatural grace and strength that you can walk in freedom. You can walk in victory in this area of your life and in every area of your life. But the good news because of what Jesus did on the cross, because his blood was spilled, you can have healing and forgiveness. Doesn't it say in Isaiah chapter 53, verse five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's how much God loves you. That he took your sexual sin and lust on his back on the cross. It says that chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are what? We are healed in the name of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? that you can find your healing only through Jesus. He wants to heal your mind. He wants to heal your past. He wants to heal you where you're at. If you would put your trust in him, if you would confess him, confess your sin, you will find healing. And Father, that's what we do right now. We thank you for the treasure and the word of God. Lord, we thank you that we can be in your presence right now. I come against In the name of Jesus, the enemy. I know that there is spiritual warfare. There's a clouding. There's a distortion of your truth that the enemy wants to lie and deceive and distort your truth. We come against that in the name of Jesus. We rebuke the devil for our children, for the men in this church. I pray, oh God, that you would help us to walk in truth, that we would walk in sexual purity and holiness. I pray a blessing on marriages that as we we yield this area to you, God, that there would be health and blessing Jesus. I pray for our children. I pray that you would give parents wisdom on how to have this conversation. And Lord, may they model for their children and and walk in the way of righteousness and holiness that you would have us in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray.